they've got algae on duty. Must be important. We've got to get past it. In other words, distract the guard heading in my general direction. I don't think that'd be such a good idea. Don't worry, I can handle it. Yeah, I've gotten to know algae quite well since I've been in town. Trust me, you're not his type. I'll distract him. Don't wait up. Relax, he's a 51st century guy. He's just a bit more flexible when it comes to dancing. How flexible? Well, by his time, you lot spread out across half the galaxy. Meaning? So many species, so little time. What? That's what we do when we get out there. That's our mission. We seek new life and... and... Dance. Live from the Eye of Orion, this is Doctor Who Podshock. Outpost Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 71 for the week of, uh, well, we don't know when we're going to get this out, so it'll be sometime in March. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Ken Deep, alongside Mr. Louis Trapani. Hello. And across the pond, of course, Mr. James Naughton. Hello. Wow, all three of us together at the same time. Weird. And, um, <laughs> Almost didn't some... happen though today. <laughs> I'm glad we did, we're here. So first off, I'd like to address the, the scandal surrounding Doctor Who Podshock in that um, our resident sex symbol, Mr. James Naughton, uh, has posed topless. Has he really? Where's the URL? Have I? It's new to me. <laughs> oh, we need it for the enhanced podcast. Where is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently that's what gets you ratings. So I figured if we. I was worried. I wondered if I'd gotten really drunk and done something that I would have regretted. Thank goodness. Yeah, it's called Rough, Ready, and Raw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that much is true. <laughs> so what's in the Doctor Who newsroom, Lewis? We were just talking about this before we started recording. I think, uh, Ken, you were just reading up on this yourself. There's a um, an article which um, I haven't had a chance to read yet, but that's in the Telegraph that that indicates that the next series, um, series four, if you will, or the 2008 series, has uh, been commissioned, which is, uh, which is good news. There's also an indication in that article that uh, Russell T. Davies uh, has his eyes on moving on from Doctor Who, perhaps. Um, he had wanted to do something um, adapting this old curiosity shop. I believe it's um, by Charles Dickens. But ITV is already in the process of doing it, so um, I suppose he's um, he's um, you know, in the BBC, and <laughs> I guess he doesn't want to cross the line. So, but obviously, if they already started the project, he's um, you can't have two of them, can you? So <laughs> perhaps you can. Anyway, but that's 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 the news there. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. Fair play to the to the guy. I mean, he's done stellar work to the show and has really done an awesome job reinvigorating it and bringing new life into the series. And when you do something so time-consuming and as so stressful as Doctor Who, I mean, nine months of filming and not just that, but of course he's one of the lead writers on the show as well as being the producer. You know, these sorts of things take time. You must be thinking about Doctor Who all year round, which for 
I mean, even for the hardcore fans, this is something a bit crazy and is is really really hard work, I guess. So, I can't say that I I blame the chap for wanting to maybe uh, move on a little bit. But um, as long as uh, as long as we get uh, somebody of the same caliber in the future, I really don't yeah, see is it going to be a problem. Same enthusiasm yeah. and you know, and the same as you said, the same caliber, the same. Rick Stop that, Ken. <laughs> no, not Rick Berman. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I uh, we've heard this before. I mean, if you remember back to the JNT years, there, there was a time when he wanted to step aside as well after you know three or four seasons. So, I just hope that that yeah. Russ is forced to stay in the job uh, when he doesn't want to. That he's actually he can go and and do other things and and hand this off and perhaps you know just stay on as an executive producer with his. Um, you know, not so hands-on on a day-to-day basis, but perhaps overseeing mm-hmm. some of the the ideas being thrown around and the, the places that the show will go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I hope that the BBC learn for their uh, from their mistakes and uh, look back over history and say, "Well, we've done, been there, done that. Let's not make the same mistakes again, so to speak." So, yeah, well, Michael um, Gray is no longer there, so let's hope. That oh, yeah, that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, <laughs> he's one? at ITV. Yes, uh, so he's the guy who probably commissioned the Curiosity Shop. <laughs> oh, yeah, just to piss off to Russell. It, let's get yeah. one on right now. We got to keep Davies on Doctor Who. <laughs> well, I mean, um, this is just again speculation. There's nothing saying that that he's definitely looking to. Um, yeah, he's just leave. hinting that you know it's taking up a lot of his time and. So yeah. But the so, good news, the positive news, is that it looks like series four is a go. I mean, why wouldn't series four be a go? But nothing is ever guaranteed until you know we hear it from the Beeb. And yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, they they did the same sort of thing um, uh, this time last year, commissioning series three before even I think series two had aired. So. Um, I think in, in most television circles, that's something that's really almost unheard of anyway, is that you, nowadays it seems that ratings are important and how the public perceives the show and how the reviews are and everything else, um, especially with the BBC, because it's it's open to a lot of criticism with it being um, uh, publicly funded, of course. So um, I guess that... Uh, it's not a case for Doctor Who. They're not worried about it. They know that it's going to be a success, and it has been for the past uh, two years. So why not for a third, and indeed why not a fourth? Well, one um, of the nice things that's happening with the current series that perhaps didn't happen um, during, let's say, Colin Baker or Sylvester McCoy's run is that it's really viewed now as an institution, you know, almost like a historic landmark. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Doctor Who was this long-running show in the late 80s, and it was, wow, you know, look at, look at Doctor Who. It's something that we grew up as as a kid. It's now, um, it's perceived a little bit differently. Uh, my projections, anyway, just from what the way the, the, the production people talk about, I can't believe I'm working on Doctor Who. You never heard that in the late 80s. You'd heard, you'd hear people saying, yeah, I'm working on Doctor Who, and it allows me to, um, to explore my creative side a little more than you would in a soap opera or something like that. But now mm-hmm. you hear almost person for person this great pride about 
working on Doctor Who, that it's uh, it's legendary and I can't believe it's back and it's back for all the right reasons and all these great... So I, I believe the perception is different, that it's it got an iconic status now that it didn't have the last time uh, it was on the air. Yeah, of course. Well, I, I think it's just elevated um I, I believe you know even back in the in the 80s it still was um you know it was as commonplace as tea and crump- crumpets it was just part of um the the, the british culture and uh, yeah um, in, when it was even speculated about being canceled or, or or during the hiatus that time when it was in a hiatus it was just unheard of and because uh, it's had such a long stretch it's always been there and um so but now as ken just said now it's it's i think it's 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 still it was there back then it's and it's it's but now it's just elevated and um and maybe because of its um long hiatus the years that there was none now people are even more appreciative that it's back and 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 they want to be a part of it and you know since it was so much a part of their childhood growing up and um whereas maybe in the past past years back in the 80s they were doing it uh they were guest starring on the series for their children perhaps just you know you know trying to make a a mark for them or doing something for for the younger viewers and now i think it's gone past that mm-hmm. doctor who alumni almost uh, so to speak <laughs> yeah segueing from that we uh the doctor who the official doctor who website has been updated uh there's a promo Hurrah. yeah there's a new promo picture there um it reminds me similar similar it reminds me of a scene that's similar to uh, the original um um, Christopher Eccleston teaser trailer where yeah, he's running trip in a tunnel, of a lifetime trip thing. of a lifetime yeah. and that big explosion which was just for the trailer it was never in an episode or anything like that so now um, you have um, um, the doctor Martha. and Martha Jones did uh, Martha change her hairstyle I haven't noticed <laughs> I'm sure it's Rose changes it all the time well no, did it, change it all the, the time in some of the early uh, publicity shots it's very long and in the the new shot with the explosion, it seems very short, unless she has it pulled back. I think it's tied up by the look of things. You're looking at it now, James? Yeah, yeah, I have it as, okay. uh, my, as my desktop picture, so uh-huh. uh, rather it, nicely. There's also some, which I haven't had a chance to see yet, because um, I've been so tied up in post-production of Pachox here. There's a teaser, there's um, some short clips, um, not really a full-length promo, to my understanding. A, a sh- no. They're short promos. That's right. They're running on the BBC at the moment. I've seen... Um, there's two, basically. Um, and it just shows a, a brief shot of the Doctor and a brief shot of Martha, like, on the okay. same... Uh, on the same screen at the same time, but, you, you know, like, with a... Uh, separated or whatever yeah, and then okay. it says two worlds will collide and that's it with the tardis mm-hmm. groaning in the background and there's two different versions of that just with different uh, shots of david tennant and, and freema i i remember uh, them doing that with uh christopher eggleson and billy piper back you know way back when they when they just had you know doctor who you know and they just showed both of them in the tardis and there was like nothing you know other than then yeah, but it's it's not even as exciting as that. It's just like close-up facial shots of them. It's not even like you don't even see any of the interior of the TARDIS or anything. So mm-hmm. it's it's incredibly brief. It's you know even a teaser of a teaser. It's just it's showing you nothing, just letting you know. You know, it's almost <laughs> like the first Doctor Who trailer that we got out. It's nearly time sort of thing, but mm-hmm. not yet. Um, which I just yeah. thought was so frustrating because you see this awesome shot so zooming in on the. Uh, Earth, and then you see the TARDIS, and you hear it groan, and it's just like, damn it, 
Oh, show more. me more. <laughs> uh, well, you you whetted my appetite, and and now I'm hungry, hungering for more. So it's once, like that very much. Once again, we should remind our listeners this: the 31st of March is the the target date for the next series debut, and we're looking yep, forward to seven it. Seven o'clock. It's um week after Icon, because I know at, uh, a couple of shocks ago we were discussing the possibility of it starting on the same date as Icon while we were recording or something like that, but that's not to be the case. But it's quite nice, I guess, because it will give us the opportunity to interact with the the audience there, the people who come out to, to see us yeah, and, and, and discuss get Series 3. Yeah, anticipation, yeah, of what, yeah, what they're so. expecting, yeah. Because uh, at the time, I think uh, I was a little bit worried because... Um, uh, that uh, it was due to first be aired on the 24th, I think, which is when we would be at Icon. So I was like, oh, I can't miss Doctor Who or whatever. I'd have to set the recorder <laughs> and watch it afterwards. So I'd be th- I would be—I wouldn't want to do a show and be constantly thinking, um, oh, yes, it's on right now. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, like I said, you would have to watch it and give us play-by-play you know, actions on the podcast. <laughs> Spoiler-free, I uh, would imagine, yeah. Oh, it's really cool, but I can't tell you anything. <laughs> can't tell you what's it's, like the, it's like the teaser, only worse. <laughs> it's time again for Comic Relief, and this time around, it's going to see the... Uh, it's going to reunite David Tennant and Catherine Tate uh, together again, as you remember, they were in this past Christmas special, The Runaway Bride, and they'll be reunited for the Red Nose Day um, on March 16th, Red Nose Day 2007, which is a comic relief fundraising event in, uh, is it um, in the, it's is it the UK or is it England or? It, yeah, it's the, across the full UK. It's mm-hmm. um, to raise money for, um, uh, sort of uh, comic relief, uh, uh, homeless, or it, no? It, it's for children in Africa and mm-hmm. uh, in the, those sorts of places. For um, well, I don't think just children, but people in general for Africa and things. They always send a celebrity out to Africa to um, to see uh, uh, what's going on and, and to see what the money's being spent on and things. And mm-hmm. of course, every year they they raise a record amount for charity and so on and. Um, this, uh, I don't know if you have, um, in the States, um, but it seems that Britain is the leading the way, of course, with terrible reality television and churning oh, out please. more and more. So yeah, apologies for that. <laughs> but, um, there's a show called, complaint. there's a show called Fame Academy, which is very similar to Pop Idol and there's, they're doing a celebrity, um, Fame Academy and, uh, I have no idea of anybody who's in there. <laughs> but it's to raise money for that and, and Red Nose Day is basically an attempt for people out there in, in the UK to do pretty crazy wacky things to, to raise money for charity uh, yeah. you, you can buy these little red noses and, and wear them mm-hmm. uh, to show your support and things or people do all sorts of silly things like take uh, baths in baked beans and wear wellies full of custard and just insane, crazy things to try it, it, and raise it seems money like for charity. The UK is more in spirit with with that um, fundraising event than here in the US. And in, in the US, we've had several like big comedy concerts, if you will. With um, I'm drawing blanks now. With um, <laughs> <laughs> on the tip of your tongue, come it's on, a, Robin Williams and um, um, <laughs> some random comedian. Where's Ken? Ken is you still with us? He stepped yeah, away. At, uh, comic <laughs> relief with Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi and Goldberg and, and what's the Billy other fellow's Crystal. name? Billy Crystal. Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, but that, don't relief. People don't get in spirit with that because maybe they just don't think it's very good. Well, they usually have like these uh, long marathon where you have to like on televisions where you like a telethon. You have to call in and you know send in but, a check and all but that. Usually, and... it's just because it's not very good. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> mostly. It's because it's not very good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm really, not arguing. Only that only thing that's happening with a marathon is just a, a whole lot of not being very good. <laughs> well, in the UK, though, everyone seems to don these little red noses and get into the spirit of things. And um, they may, I, I don't know if it's raising money for the cause or not, but it seems like everyone gets into the swing of things more so than here. I don't know. I, I mean, I've never seen it in America, but every, I mean, particularly uh, when I was younger at school and things, you know, people do make a, a big effort to to raise money and do all sorts now, of things. Now, when, when you buy the red nose, is a portion of that going to... Yes, yes. I okay, think so. quite a lot of it goes to uh, charity. Um, just as uh, on this Celebrity Fame Academy thing, uh, I think uh, a, a large portion... Uh, at least sixty percent goes to charity or something like that. Basically, just they're they're just making enough to break even themselves, the BBC or whatever, and then all the rest is going uh, straight to charity. So. so, and and on that day, it's pretty common that you play pranks on your coworkers or mates and whatever. well, uh, I, not so much pranks, but uh, people will do will be dared to do silly things or something like that to raise money for charity, and people will sponsor you to. I gotcha. I don't know, um, uh, do something pretty wacky and crazy. Yeah, if you like, do that, uh, I'll pledge this amount. Yeah, yeah pe- like people, for instance, shave their head bald or dye their hair red, bright red for like comic relief and are dare to do these, mm-hmm. these crazy things and, and get money as a result. Um, at school, we used to, because uh, it's um, in the UK, uh, most schools wear uniforms. Uh, my understanding is that that's not the case in um, in the US. But yeah, when I was a lad, schools, yeah, yeah, when I was a lad at school, um, we'd get to wear our own uh, clothing at school, mm-hmm. uh, provided that we donate some money to comic relief or whatever, and then the school would donate all that money to to the charity. So it was just kind of a fun time and just a bit different and something a bit crazy. So everybody looked forward to it, and plus. There's always great things on telly, um, not that there isn't anyway, but more so than usual because they get a lot of uh, high-profile stars to, to, to act in things like uh, they've got, uh, of course, David Tennant and uh, uh, Catherine Tate together again, uh, acting together, so just to do wacky little things like that, it's pretty yeah. cool, pretty and fun. Speaking of television, that's will be 7 p.m. Um, uh, 7 p.m. to 3.05 a.m. on Saturday um, with a 35-minute break for the news at 10 p.m. and so that's yeah. again that's um, is it March uh, 16, Friday March 16th. So and they're teaming up with Lenny Henry, Lenny Henry and other surprise guests for some sketches. Also being reunited, other Doctor Who alumni would be um, Simon Pegg from The Long Game, uh, Devana McCall from Bad Wolf, Trinity Woodall from Bad Wolf as well, Maureen Lipman from The Idiot's Lantern, and Peter Kay from Love and Monsters. Will all be involved in it as well. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I shall tune in, and it's on my birthday as well. So oh, cool! It's a good, uh, good reason to 
have a few beers and have a laugh. <laughs> like you need a reason. <laughs> well, that much is true, but any excuse, any excuse. <laughs> I thought all it meant was just another Rough Riding Roar episode. <laughs> Which we're due for, aren't we? <laughs> yes, we are. I apologize. I should uh, get motoring with that. Well, speaking of withdrawals, um, speaking of you know, being withdrawal from Rough Riding Roar, we're also, um, if you're outside of the UK... In uh, I don't know if it was our last episode or the episode before of Podshock, we announced that you'll be able to uh, see Doctor Who materials such as the David Tennant and Martha Freeman... Uh, I'm getting her names all mixed up. Uh, <laughs> Freeman Adjaman's diaries um, on YouTube. But mm-hmm. this is no longer the case, unfortunately. Uh, it's now being limited to, I believe, just UK residents. Just like... Um, you know, here I was bra- I was um, raving about how great this is that it's going on YouTube because it's more accessible and everyone can watch it and it's not re- tied down to just the UK. And, well, I have to eat my words because um, the BBC has now uh, tied it down with, uh, you know, YouTube, which is owned by Google. And it's um, now it's, own- it's restricted to just UK viewers. So if you try to access the David Tennant diaries or the uh, Freemar Adjaman diaries, or for that matter, Life on Mars, or any of the BBC uh, material that was on YouTube, it's um, no longer available. Although, having said that, there is scope here, I think, because um, there there are two, well, I think there are several BBC YouTube accounts, one of which is just uh, the standard BBC account, but then there's BBC Worldwide as well, so I'm hoping that those that certain clips will trickle through to the BBC worldwide um, profile. But it, it seems to me to be a very sneaky trick on behalf of the BBC, because really all they're doing is sort of outsourcing their bandwidth. They're saying, well, we don't really want to ha- have to distribute this content. We've got this content, but, um, you know, uh, we don't want to have to distribute it because it's going to cost so much in bandwidth. Let's just give it to YouTube and they can distribute it for us and we'll get all the credit. It's very sneaky and uh, cheeky, really, I guess, um, of the BBC to do that. Because I was with you, Lewis, I was like, this is great. It's fantastic that um, uh, so many people will be able to have access to this content. Because it's not like they're putting up full episodes or anything, yeah, for heaven's it's, sake. It's pro- promotional stuff, really. And yeah, and I don't see how that could be like be really infringing on those that pay the licensing fees because we're not, you know, it's not giving away anything that you know they're getting with their licensing fees. It's just promoting, the, you know, the show, and um, that's going to probably wind up on the DVD anyway. Of course, um, although they tend to do several versions for some strange reason, which is a bit crazy, um, especially with the commentaries. I just thought they just stuck on the commentaries that they had. Um, on the digital and that you yeah, could download I, afterwards. I was but. quite surprised by that when I was, uh, you know, been reviewing the the series two DVD box set. That it's uh, they're different commentaries. They're not the same commentaries that were available for download. You know, via the, their podcast. And um, I mean, I'm not complaining by having additional commentaries. The more, the merrier. But I would like to have both of them been available on the DVD so that uh, it's all on one source. You know, you don't have to. You know you know, go to your iPod for the one that was downloaded and then go to the DVD, you know, for the other or whatever. If it's all in one place, it would be better. The the other big disappointment on the box set is, um, where's the Tardisodes? <laughs> I thought for sure they were a shoo-in for the DVD that will get the Tardisodes. Yeah, I, I, I hadn't thought about that until you just mentioned it now. 
Yeah, so that's that's mm. another big disappointment on uh, concerning the DVD box set. So, I, I I don't know. I you know it's it's out there. It's I mean people put it out on the DVD now. What 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 used to these Tardisodes have now that you know series two is over. Mm-hmm. All right. So, do we have anything else in the newsroom? I, I think, think that's that wraps it up. Pretty much everything. Puts a bow yeah. on the news. And Ken, unless you have anything, I don't know. Okay. Well, I just want to make one quick announcement then before we get into the feature segment. And I know we've alluded to this on on several shows before, but we've just had so many entries to this um, uh, creator promo exhibition thing where you can win an iPod Nano. Um, that we're going to have to take some time to really review everything. But you can still submit something, but hopefully in the next few Podshock episodes, we will get around to picking a winner. Yeah. It's just that... Uh, well, the, we have to be honest, the last couple recordings, we haven't all been together for the whole show. Yes, of and course. That, that was another but, factor involved. Yeah, we all need to kind of get together and, and argue and, and discuss about... Uh, <laughs> I like yeah, this one! Fight, yeah, fight for which one uh, that we want. And, it's, and not to it's be... It's going to be ugly, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, well, precisely, of course. So, uh, just to let you guys know that that's what we're doing. And, of course, if you do want to submit uh, just a short mashup promo for Podshock, just with general clips and things from other Podshocks and things, then uh, please do just send it to the, the feedback address, feedback at podshock.net, uh, and you could have the chance to win a uh, an iPod Nano. So get creative, send stuff in, and in the meantime, we'll review everything else and uh, pick a winner in the next few shows. Like I say, we just need some time to evaluate everything. Well, speaking of future Doctor Who Podshock episodes, I also want to remind everyone that in a couple of weeks, or by the time you listen to this, maybe in one week, uh, we'll be at Icon in Stony Brook, New York, doing a live show. And that's going to be March 25th. It's Sunday, March 25th. And it's at um, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And we'll uh, have on hand, uh, Ken, myself, will be there in person. James will be there via the internet. So he'll, he'll, he'll be with us, but just not in person. And also in person with us will be guest John Peel. And once again, that's at 1.30. It's it's only a one-hour time slot, so we're gonna have to we might have to like forego uh, some of our regular features just to keep the show down and, and just so we can do the interview. And um, you know, we may have to forego feedback for that episode. But we'll have a live audience there to get real live feedback. So that would be. We had a nice sized crowd last year. I'm hoping to, that we repeat. Yes. Yeah. I still yeah. Don't, we still don't have details exactly where at the convention it will be we're assuming it might be in the same room which was uh the javits center if memory calls is going back last year i think it was room 104 but i could be wrong uh so hopefully we'll be either back there or be in a better you know situation hopefully failing that just i guess ask one of the stewards and say hey where's Podshock or whatever and i'm sure there'll be hopefully there'll be signs up and down yeah there's should- so there should be a program guide as well. As soon as when you get you go to the convention, and hopefully will be listed in the program guide. If not, there will be a, to my understanding, a Gallifrey Embassy table there, and hopefully uh, we'll have information there for for you. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess without further ado, shall we go into the feature segment after this short break? I think that's a plan. Sounds like a plan. Oh, my God. 
This is Podshock, and you are listening to Colin Baker. Horror of Glam Rock by Paul Mars. Will you come to us? I'm tuned in. Will it be tonight? Here? Yeah, sorry about that. We just went through a little time eddy in the vortex. Whatever it was, it's made me car sick. Or TARDIS sick or whatever. Somewhere deep inside your shed, yeah, yeah. It's a sorrow and a head, yeah, yeah. It's the creatures like to dwell. The only ones. Now you've broken up the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you the first time. You, you monster, you. Oh, cripes. aren't that busy. Yeah, you'd be mad to go out in this. I've never seen snow like it. Well, now I have. Can we go? Look, there. Kathy? Now, proper old-style motorway services. Oh, you're going to love this, Lucy. Old-style? Doctor, what year is this? It's 1974. I bet they'll have those ketchup things in the shape of tomatoes. Before I was born. Always looks a bit rubbish on the telly. Tacky. Why 1974? I was trying for your time. This is as close as I could get, as close as I'm allowed to get. This is the Dark Ages, Doctor. It's nowhere near where I come from. I bet it's down south, too. You humans can be so parochial. Think about it, Lucy. Glam rock. Bowie and Bolan and Eno. Electronic music is in its infancy. Wow, right. I like a bit of handbag, don't you, Doctor? A great deal now. You surprise me. And I don't like this, either. There's something wrong. Look. Lights flickering in the services. I can hardly see. Doctor, mind your feet! There's something. Oh. Someone. Nothing can be done for him, I don't think. There's one right behind us! Quick! Lock the door! Believers. I'm sorry? We've just told you that there's huge fanged bear-like creatures out there in the snow, and you believed us. You didn't laugh. You didn't question. You just believed us. Of course. I'm not sure I would. You wouldn't believe half of the things I've seen. Horror of Glam Rock, now available from Big Finish, www.doctorwho.co.uk. Oh, the doctor. Martha Jones. Run! We're going to be in the end, but... Sorry. 
are you? We are the family of blood. And tonight, I'm going to perform a miracle. Something's wrong. Utopia. You'd enjoy anything. That's me. What? I'm not going to lose her. What are you doing here? Save us. I am not the doctor. Stop him! Halsey! Don't turn your back. He's ancient and forever. He burns at the center of time and he can see the turn of the universe. And we're back with Doctor Who Podshock. As if you were expecting a different podcast. Anyway, it's with great pleasure that we introduce our next segment. We have an interview with Stephen Moffat. This interview took place at Gallifrey One, and we want to thank Mike Duran for conducting the interview. Stephen Moffat is the writer uh, for the acclaimed uh, two-parter story in 2005, The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances. And, and that momentum continued in the 2006 series with the episode The Girl in the Fireplace. And now we're in the newest series, the 2007 or Series 3, if you will. Uh, he's um, once again having a, a go at it with um, Episode 10. But don't blink, because you might miss it. No, you won't. The episode is called Blink. So here we go, Stephen Moffat, Gallifrey 1, February 2007. I'm here with uh, Stephen Moffat, the author of uh, two episodes from the first series, uh, Empty Child, The Doctor Dances, as well as The Girl in the Fireplace uh, from series two of Doctor Who, as well as quite a few other programs uh, that people have heard of, such as Coupling and, of course, Press Gang. Uh, Stephen, how are you enjoying the convention so far? Yeah, it's, uh, it's good fun. I, I, I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Um, you were here last year. I believe that was your first convention? It wasn't quite my first convention. It was my first time at Gallifrey. I, uh, this is my third convention. My very first one was in Stockton-on-Tees in, uh, in 2004, just before the series went out. And then I came last year uh, here, and I'm back here again. Okay. I'm, I'm curious how, uh, with... Such a high, yeah, such a high-profile television career coming into uh, the start of the the new series back in in 2003 and 2004 as they were putting it together. How much of a lifelong dream must it have been to work on the series, if if indeed it was? Oh, certainly. I mean, it's, it's actually the only reason I do it. I mean, I, I'm a fan writer when I write Doctor Who. Um, I I don't I don't have the time. I don't have the need. I do it because I absolutely love it. Uh, and I always wanted to write Doctor Who, and it was a tremendous thrill to get, to get the chance. It was a chance I kind of thought would never arise. I never thought it would come up as an opportunity. So uh, the first thing I did when I had Russell had the 
uh, had the gig uh, was that I emailed him. I didn't ask him for a job because that would be vulgar and beneath me, I considered. But I did congratulate him in the hope that would remind him of my email address and, uh, and, and prompt maybe thoughts of giving me a job. Yeah, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't something that you just felt I had to do this once. It's something you want to you know keep doing as long as the, the the new series is going. Do you think? Well, I mean, I, I am doing it. I, I, I'm there once a year, and that's a, that's pretty much a, an arrangement we've uh, we've reached on both sides. Um, no, I mean, things have changed, obviously. I mean, it could well have been. Indeed, I probably thought it was the case that I was coming in to to complete that cycle and. And, and finish, you know, finish my obsession with Doctor Who by, by writing a Doctor Who story. But, you know, Doctor Who, uh, the, 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 the Empty Child and uh, the Doctor Dancer, oh, this is called The Empty Child, it takes too long. Um, that, was, that was a big moment for me. It was a big moment, uh, dare I say, in the first series, one of the more memorable shows. And uh, it, was, it was a big moment for me as well. You know, people noticed I wrote it. I kind of thought no one had ever noticed I had written Doctor Who, it was all Russell. But in fact, people really did know that I was there. And uh, I got a lot of attention and uh, probably slightly changed the way I was looked at as a writer. So there's every career reason to continue with it, frankly. How different has it been for you from the first to the second to the third and uh, presumably to the fourth series uh, as a writer uh, with uh, all, 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 everything surrounding the production? How has the process changed? Well, one of the big uh, significant differences is that during the first series was we were kind of trying to find it, and I included that Russell. Russell was trying to find it. None of us, including Russell, had even seen it. You know, I mean, not meaning we've seen the, the show. We hadn't seen this version of the show. So it was kind of by guessing by God and by fear and by terror to, to get there. Um, without actually knowing, I mean, Russell knew more than us, but uh, certainly a lot more than us, but... Um, I, mean, I just I didn't know what it would feel like, what it would look like, what it sounded like as a show. Coming in to do the the second one, I knew all that, and it was a, it was a much speedier process doing uh, my season two and season three uh, scripts. Was well, you know it was uh, a month for uh, Fireplace and, and less than a month really for uh, my for my season three one. So does the so so is it so much that it. Uh doesn't get easier or harder, but to face different challenges? It doesn't feel easier. It feels quicker, which is a different thing. I mean, you don't waste your time on things that you we have all now learned or work on Doctor Who. I mean, we had to be, you know, in order to gain ownership of a show, you kind of have to make all the mistakes yourself. And there's 26 years worth of mistakes to make a Doctor Who. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot of things you've got to, you've got to kind of, figure out why Robert Holmes always does that. Don't just trust that he does it, actually figure out why he always does that. Um, and, you know, it was, it, was, it was a steep, steep learning curve. Now, most of the, most of the programs that your name associated with over the years are shows where you were, you were the person behind the whole series. You were running the show. It was you. How different is it? And as I think, certainly in recent years, Doctor Who's fairly unique in your career at this point, that you're doing something where you're working for somebody else. And, and how different is that in handing over some level of ownership of what you're writing uh, to another team? Um, they've made it quite easy for me. I mean, they've been, I mean, they are aware of that. They are aware that I'm, you know, I'm taking my general's hat off to come in. So they, uh, so they're very, very good to me. You know, I'm, I'm allowed a lot of sin uh, and a lot of consultation, everything that happens. So it, you know, I think on series one it felt a bit unnerving. Uh, series two and series three, it doesn't. It truthfully, didn't feel that different. 
from doing Jekyll. I was doing Jekyll, my new Jekyll and Hyde series, at the same time as I was doing my series three, three episodes. It was pretty much the same process, you know. Um, I'm executive producer one and not on the other. Uh, if, if, you know, it, it felt, you know, I mean, I, I, I like to think it is true. And I think he would probably say it is true that it's a bit of a relief for us if, I, if, if an executive producer of a if, I, if a writer or executive producer of, of another show turns up for one week in his show, he can he can slightly let go of it. You know, he can look, think that one is going to be a little bit more taken care of than, to some degree. I mean, I, I hate to overstate that. Um, speaking of Jekyll, uh, when when is that going to be going out? Oh, very good question. Uh, I think probably in June, but there's still a chance it might go out in March. It, uh, it, it probably depends what night of the week they settle on. I think it will probably be uh, sort of late-ish Saturday, uh, but that means we have to wait for a while before, the, before that slot becomes available. Okay. And finally, uh, we know you're writing for the third series. Uh, uh, we don't know what the episode's called, and I won't ask you, but is there anything you can tell us about... Uh, leading into the third series, what to expect? Yes, I can just disappoint you. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a double banking episode. It's the episode with barely any CGI, so that kind of means pretty much no Doctor and pretty much no special effects. So if I don't come last in the season poll for this one, it won't be for want of trying. Um, so I, I volunteered to do this show because I, was, I think that's one part I was meant to be doing a two-parter and I was meant to be doing an early episode and I couldn't, because of my Jekyll commitments, I had to keep saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. So at the end, I volunteered. I said, look, I'll do the, I'll do the tricky one. I'll do the double-banking No Doctor episode. <laughs> it was really just two days of filming from David. Um, and having said what I've just said, I think it's rather a good show. I think it's quite scary, good monsters. It feels very Doctor Who and the Doctor's participation, while... Limited in time uh, and screen time is is central and important. So I hope people will like it. Okay, I very much look forward to it, and thank you for your time. No problem. Stephen Moffat's talents extend past Doctor Who. As you heard in this interview, he's working on a new series called Jekyll, a uh, modern version of the Jekyll and Hyde story, and um, he's also responsible for creating and writing other sitcoms including Chalk, Joking Apart, and um, Coupling, which ran for four seasons. We want to thank once again, obviously, Stephen Moffat for the interview and Mike Duran for conducting the interview and Sean Lyon for making it all possible at Gallifrey One. Dark Skeptical is back, boys and girls and small furry creatures from Alpha Centauri. He's finishing his review of the BBC Seven radio series with Paul McGann. With his review of Human Resources Part 2. Now, if you've missed any of these BBC Seven adventures with Paul McGann, fear not because they're available from Big Finish. So be sure to pick them up from Big Finish, available at doctorwho.co.uk. Check them out. Ever have one of those days? Jerry Cooper. Where <laughs> 
Messing about, making his voice go all oh, like that. <laughs> I bet he did it on the computer. I swear that guy cracks me up. <laughs> Keep missing. Look, I am not going to be laughing, and neither are you. Even if it is for Red Nose Day. The big picture. I have guns, and if you're not quiet, I will kill you. And the boss. Mm, oh, petty politics, duplicity, infighting. I don't want to hear it. You let whole planets die so you didn't have to look bad. He's just interested in covering his own assets. It is very, very important that we don't look bad. Welcome to another day at the office for the doctor. Who are you working for, doctor? Myself. And if you'll permit me to be grandiose for a moment, justice, righteousness, and all the rest of it. And Lucy. What are you planning? I think she's going to say something dreary, like, help us or die, aren't you? Sorry to bore you, but yes, you're going to help us get back inside the office and back to the doctor. As we explore Human Resources Part 2 on The Skeptical Diaries. Do what? I'll explain later. This is London. Hi kids, I'm Darth Skeptical, and we're back one last time to talk about the Radio 7 season starring Paul McGann. In our last installment, we went into some great detail about the plot of Human Resources Part 1, and while I should still say there will be spoilers this time around, it's not a detailed examination of the plot which interests me, so much as the title. Human Resources Part 2. Of those four simple words, it's the last pair that really matter, because at the end of the day, the really important question to ask about this final episode of the season is how it compares with Russell's Part 2s. We touched on this subject last time around, but here I think we need to go into some greater detail. For the first time ever, we have the ability to compare audio Doctor Who with televised Doctor Who without proviso. For once, Audio Doctor Who is, in every way but the visuals, like a modern televised episode. It's the same length, it's on a weekly broadcast schedule, it involves a new companion, and, for all intents and purposes, a new Doctor. This season of McGann is, like series one and two, a virtually blank slate. So the question must be asked, which was better, Parting of the Ways, Doomsday, or Human Resources Part 2? Well, clearly, the winner ain't Parton of the Ways, which was too much deus ex nocens lupus for my taste. Instead, I'd say that Doomsday and Human Resources Part 2 are tied, simply because they're excellent for diametrically opposed reasons. Doomsday redeemed what had at first appeared to be mistakes in other episodes throughout its season. 
It far, far, far exceeded my hopelessly low expectations. Any show that's the equivalent of an all-nighter resulting in an A on a test you thought you were going to fail is always going to have a warm spot in my heart. But human resources had no bile to overcome. Since the seven previous episodes were all strong in their own right, and yet they neatly progressed season-long story arcs, the burden here wasn't to redeem, but to reward. To succeed, it didn't have to make sense of the past, so much as provide satisfying answers to tantalizing questions raised throughout the season. Let me be clear. Human Resources Part 2 had to give just cause for the arrival of the Cybermen last week, make some sense of Hulbert Logistics, explain the weekly teases we've been given of the Headhunter, tell us what the Time Lords were up to, and give us an answer to the question, who is Lucy Miller? Oh, and it had to do it with the same level of style and wit we'd come to expect of the writing this season. All in 50 short minutes. So did it work? Yes, oh yes it did. Human Resources was an absolute five TARDIS experience. Here's why. The Cyberman. Now, again, I don't particularly like the Cybermen. But as that old office maxim goes, I don't have to like them to work with them. And here they do work, because not that much is being asked of them. They are a necessary enemy. It's a key plot point that Hulbert's battlefield opponent be able to work out the statistical probability of battlefield losses. And let's face it, aside from the Daleks, who are you going to turn to for quick math facts but the Cybermen? The story also demands that a resolute threat requiring little additional explanation be placed in opposition to our heroes. So much else is going on in the episode that there isn't time for much more than a shell of a species. Again, who fits that description better than the Cybermen? And finally, there is a nifty thematic resonance about this particular battlefield. Since the Hulbert side of the war is being prosecuted by a few big robots with humans inside, it works that the other side of the war is a lot of little robots with humans inside. I mentioned that this theme seemed to be headed somewhere in Part 1, and indeed, it does get subtle coverage in Part 2. Both sides are about using technology to enslave humans, and both sides are equally opposed by the Doctor. I would have liked to have seen a little more done with this, but it's interesting to see the Doctor in the middle of a war where both sides are similar and both sides are wrong. It's an echo of something that worked well on TV. But it is also better than the cyber-Dalek war of Doomsday, in that there's a solid reason given for the ease of the cyber defeat, and that this reason has a direct impact on the lives of our main protagonists. In other words, Cybermen don't fail simply because Hulbert's machines are technologically superior. I think the Cybermen work well here, too, because there is at least an attempt to give some thought to Cybermen as a species. Perhaps this was necessary because script editor Alan Barnes wanted to make sure listeners didn't get the Cybermen mixed up with those recently seen on TV. But it turns out to be a little bit of a bonus. One of my favorite bits of the Doctor's interaction with the Cybermen is when he does a witty little double take over the Cybermen's homeworld. Since when has this been your homeworld? Uh, yes, I mean, who hasn't heard of the Cybermen? 
But I uh, thought your home was the planet Telos. Telos is unknown to us. Oh, I must have got it mixed up with somewhere else. Not only does this highlight one of the key problems with the Cybermen, the contradiction about the cyber homeworld inherent in the 10th planet and Tomb of the Cybermen, but it also confirms the fix of this problem as presented in Attack of the Cybermen and Nick Briggs' own Cybermen series for Big Finish. I don't want to suggest that the story gets bogged down by continuity references like this. It moves far too rapidly for that. But it's great that there is a tiny beat where the Doctor himself, like even the most dedicated Doctor Who fan, is momentarily confused over cyber history. Holbert Logistics. Meanwhile, our other antagonist, Holbert, is given logical, if surprising, progress in Part 2 as well. His deft characterization as a smooth businessman pays off here in that his way out of cyber hell is to try to negotiate a contract with the Cybermen. In so doing, he transits from being the apparent villain of Part 1 to the comic relief of Part 2. What about me? You will give us access to the machine and guide us then. You will also be considered for conversion. Uh, look, uh, I'd rather not, actually. If you will ally yourself with the Cybermen, then there is no reason not to submit yourself for conversion. The benefits are numerous. Uh, maybe I'm not suitable. Roy Marsden makes the transition from Wizard of Oz to Man Behind the Curtain effortlessly, and I can't sing his acting praises loudly enough. But Holbert is a company as much as a man, and the technology behind his operation leaves us wondering about the future. The fact that he's not a mad scientist or powerful overlord, but a mere entrepreneur, makes him all the more interesting. The question of who truly started what became Hulbert Logistics is left open. And the notion of him as a, well, thief leaves us wondering about the future. Is he, in the Tenth Doctor's words, a mere pilot fish? Are the authors of his fabulous technology now set to make an appearance in a future series, too? The Headhunter. Holbert's downgrading from antagonist to comic relief creates a kind of dramatic vacuum into which the headhunter neatly steps. Her wry humor keeps her funny, of course, but her part is finally expanded here after some tantalizing teases all season long. And though she spends a good deal of time ostensibly helping Lucy, her menace eventually reaches full and one might almost say exquisite flower. She radically transforms here in part two from a diverting device to easily the best female villain we've yet had in any form of broadcast Doctor Who. She is, to sum her essence to a single word, wicked. And if I could just add one more word to describe her, it would be unresolved. While you definitely get answers about why she was chasing Lucy and what her relationship to the various entities at work throughout the season are, She's left not so much defeated as completely energized. The conclusion of Human Resources Part 2 feels much more like the start of her story. I don't understand why you can't just let me go now. Mainly because your operation is massively illegal. Says who? Says the Time Lords. That's who. Uh you're one of them, are you? I've had a couple of run-ins with your lot. Well, you've another to look forward to. We've rarely had anyone like the Headhunter before. At once... 
aware yet dismissive of the Time Lords, you get the impression that she just as soon destroy the Time Lords for sport as indulge their own delusions of moral rectitude. For fans of Doctor Who comic strips, and I apologize for the obscurity of the reference, she's a vaguely Absalom Dockish figure. If you can imagine, a Doc who menaced the Time Lords instead of the Daleks had no moral center, no just cause, and no love of anything other than himself. One can easily imagine from her appearance here that she will, one day, involve herself with the Daleks. It's pure speculation, of course, but the door is left massively wide open for the possibility that she could be the spark that lights the fire on the Time War. We'll probably never know, of course, but if anyone other than the Master could casually start a war between the Time Lords and the Daleks, she'd be at the top of my list. Gallifrey. And speaking of the Time Lords, how do our other, other, other antagonists fare in this outing? Truth is, they work extremely well here, at least on a par with their use in The War Games and Genesis of the Daleks. You remember those days, don't you? Before we'd heard words like panopticon and president, but when police was the only word beginning with P that we'd usually associate with them. This story, this season, is really all about them as guardians. Politics are present, to be sure. You can't have police without policy. But I think this use of Gallifrey is one that would, if she were to think about it for a moment, make Verity Lambert proud. For we see here why the doctor would rebel against this society. With great economy, and I think even greater clarity, you see immediately the corruption at the heart of Gallifrey. I would imagine that if you had only started watching Doctor Who in the RTD era, you could come away from this story with very much all you needed to know about the Doctor's relationship with his people. But if you are a long-term fan of Doctor Who, you'd see a lot more. We have in Human Resources something informed by Terence Dick's excellent novel, World Game, with its confirmation of the so-called Season 6B theory, the Big Finish Gallifrey series, and certainly every televised appearance of the Time Lords to date. This is pure, 100% refined Gallifrey, not some crappy JNT very special episode set on Gallifrey. The Time Lords don't merely work well because they're true to their Troughton-era essence, though. They work because they're absolutely essential to the plot. The story of human resources requires Gallifrey, even though the Doctor steps not one foot on his homeworld. In narrative terms, the cool thing about the Time Lords is that they are not simply the MacGuffins of the whole season. It was, to me, increasingly looking like they might have been a mere catalyst for action. Their dark secret about Lucy has been driving us through these eight episodes, and it's what carries us through to the final TARDIS groan. Happily, not only is that secret not the plot device it seemed to be in Blood of the Daleks, but it is the crux of the matter here in Human Resources Part 2. To be sure, the answer to the question, who is Lucy Miller, provides satisfying closure on the specific events of human resources. But the manner of the Time Lord's influence on events ensures that for once, a human companion will be directly affected by Gallifreyans. Doctor, is this all true? I'm sorry, I think it is. 
And that's how your lot do things. Decide what's best for people and just stick your oar in. We didn't sanction... No, but you didn't stop them either, did you? As far as you're concerned, we can't be trusted to make our own decisions, can we? So you just nudge us this way and that until we're where you want us, and if we find out, you tell us it's for our own good. Now, okay, sure. Zoe and Jamie were mind-wiped and sent back home by the Time Lords. Leela, likewise, married a Gallifreyan. Nyssa stood up to the Time Lords in Ark of Infinity when the Doctor's life was on the line. But really, the effects of all that was never explored on television. Here, the Time Lords have intervened directly in Lucy's life, and she finds out about it. She has to deal with that, and so, for once, do they. To say that it's a different dynamic than we've had with the Time Lords is a bit of an understatement. It's very, very dangerous for you to be near it. It could destroy you. Me, the Doctor! I've got a gun, all right? That means you stop faffing around and do what I say! Thank you! In the end, these staid old Time Lords, so feared by RTD for the continuity nightmares attached to them, come across as relevant and even pitiable in the hands of writer Eddie Robeson. The resurrected Time Lords and their answer to the question, who is Lucy Miller, are arguably his greatest triumph in a script already brimming with success. Now, really, I could keep talking about the glories of human resources, and by extension, the whole season, forever. Indeed, I have little doubt that those few listeners still with me will believe I have already done so. But I think the point should now be clear. This is some fantastic Doctor Who, recommended without hesitation to modern and classic era fans alike. But I'd be remiss to leave discussion of this season without also pointing you in the direction of another similar era in Doctor Who. Back when Paul McGann was still finding his way in Doctor Who audio, he had another similar experience. Made up of Invaders from Mars, The Chimes of Midnight, Living Legend, Seasons of Fear, Embrace the Darkness, The Time of the Daleks, and Neverland, there was another companion named Charlie who awakened the interest of the Time Lords for a different reason. Back then, the season was hailed for its invention and good acting. At what must be the 20-minute mark on this review, there's no way I've got the time to compare that season with this one. I still think this season is by far McGann's best work as the Doctor, and Lucy has fully placed herself into the upper echelons of companiondom. But you shouldn't take my word for it. Go out and buy those seven earlier adventures yourself and see how they stack up against what is hopefully the first of many seasons on Radio 7. Until next time, I'm Darth Skeptical, closing up the diaries for this podcast. Lucy of the N62, and this is my bumbling assistant, the Doctor. How flattering. Hey, wow, how cool was that? Thank you, Darth. Darth Skeptical. Thank you. I hope we don't have to wait until another BBC7 series for another episode of the Skeptical Diaries. So if you're listening, BBC7 and Big Finish, get on it, because we want to hear more of Darth Skeptical. Well... We'll be right back with feedback. 
Hi, I'm Paul Wilson and welcome to the WhoCast. If you're interested in Doctor Who or in Torchwood, then this is the podcast for you. This podcast is produced in conjunction with the London Doctor Who Meetup Group. And not only do we discuss all things Who, but we meet on a regular basis. And you can be sure of many interesting and different discussions when we all get together. If you want to know more, subscribe to the podcast or join our meeting group, then please have a look at our website at www.thewhocast.com. Get ready for the adventure of a lifetime. back with Doctor Who Podshock, and we're in our feedback segment. And this is where we hear from you, and we always love to hear what you have to say. So um, I should remind everyone how to send us feedback. There's multiple ways. As with everything in life, there's um, always alternatives. And you can send us feedback via email by sending it to feedback at podshock.net. And there's also, you can also use Skype or the Gizmo Project to send your your audio feedback, and that will be just sending it to Podshock is the address that you would use there. And um, we also have a public call box, the Podshock public call box, which is, um, which my website page isn't opening to give me the number. Hold on. It's 206-888-4946. <laughs> I have it memorized. Thank you. Uh, the uh, four nine, yeah, the four nine four six is is for who, so there you go, quite cool. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Um, that page isn't opening for me right now. Anyway, thank you so much, James. Uh, I, I should have it. It's all right. I've got, I've got you back, mate. I've got you back. <laughs> but that's of course a, a U.S. number, just to you know. Yes. Yes. Rephrase, uh, because uh, if you you can ring it if you're in other countries, but uh, it might be uh, easier or certainly cheaper. Cheap is free to use Skype, so or Gizmo, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, we always enjoy. You can also send us audio feedback via email. Some people, you know, record it on their computer and then just send it off to our email address, and that works just as well. You know, so yeah, that's, we enjoy hearing you all from all various means. You can put a message in a bottle and put it in the ocean. Maybe we might get it. Yeah, carrier pigeon, whatever else. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, first up in our feedback section, uh, we have, um, speaking of using Skype, we have uh, Derek who has sent in a voicemail message via Skype, and uh, this is what he had to say. Hello, Podshock people. It's Derek in LA, and I'm glad to see that the Skype voicemail is working once again. Uh, just wanted to follow up on emails I sent while back. Um, first is I had sent a link to uh, Film and Video magazine where it's talking about that Doctor Who is not recorded in HD uh, due to a mandate from the BBC. Um, and it was shot in anamorphic, but anamorphic uh, standard def on digital beta cam. And I was wondering, since Torchwood is recorded in HD, is that because it's on BBC3, which is one of your, uh, your, your digital channels? And if you had heard anything about um, the upcoming season and future seasons being recorded in HD for Doctor Who. And then also, 
uh, in regards to uh, the, the 96 movie, there's a couple of things that um, you didn't mention on your, on your episode about that that I uh, wanted to point out in case you weren't aware of. First is regarding the marketing of the film. Uh, actually, Fox did a really good job of marketing it to the, the sci-fi and Internet people at the time. AOL had a dedicated area for the movie, and you could uh, download the first uh, Internet-available electronic press kit, and it contained the trailers, uh, video of the trailers, interviews, pictures. Um, somewhere I've actually got this on a three-and-a-half floppy uh, disk, and um, who knows if the files back would be open uh, today. Uh, but the other thing to keep in mind, which is why things regarding why the show was not brought back as a series back in 96, was that the Doctor Who movie was the most expensive uh, television movie ever made for Fox Broadcasting. It cost around $5 million at that time, which is still would make it one of the most expensive movies if it was made today. Uh, for Fox. Also, it was part of the Tuesday night movie series. And the week before, um, Dr. Who, the movie aired, there was the, uh, twister, uh, knockoff called tornado, which starred Bruce Campbell. And that was the highest rated Fox TV movie in history. And it really raised the expectations for the Dr. Who movie since Dr. Who was based on a preexisting property. Uh, the problem though, was with the night that they chose to air the movie. Uh, the, it was the penultimate episode of Roseanne was also on that night, which is the episode in which John Goodman's character has a heart attack. And the other problem uh, was something that they probably couldn't have avoided, which was the, um, the Chicago Bulls in the, uh, the NBA playoffs or the NBA championship series. I mean, um, Chicago was, I don't know if it still is, but back in the 90s, it was the largest contingent of Dr. Who fans in the country. And everyone in Chicago was watching the Bulls. Um, but there is a piece of information that came out at that time, um, which was ignored because no one cared about it at that time, which is that Dr. Who was the most videotaped uh, show for that week. Nielsen did record information as to who was videotaping what, and more people recorded Doctor Who the movie, uh, which meant that they obviously meant that they were going to watch it at a later time, but no one paid attention to that part of the ratings at that time because time-shifting like you have now today with TiVo wasn't important. It was only what the numbers were for the actual night of the broadcast. Okay. Um, that I think sums up what, uh, we had talked about. And again, Lewis, I'm glad I was able to help out and regarding the, uh, the Skype voicemail. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Cool. Thanks ever so much for the summary. Great for the info there. Yeah. It's nice for people who, uh, perhaps aren't aware of the whole circumstances surrounding the TV movie, um, why a series wasn't commissioned uh, in lieu of of the broadcast on Fox? Because I think that was initially the plan to mm-hmm. try to maybe pick up the TV series again. Yes. Um, yeah, Paul McGann but, actually uh, had a five year contract, and it was the hopes that uh, the BBC was hoping that they would have an American uh, partner to 
help fund the series and it would be um, a sort of a joint venture, you know, series where it would have, um, you know, be picked up in the U.S. and mm. Fox was going to be, uh, hopefully was going to be the one. But unfortunately, that did not turn out to be the case. And um, I, I, I don't recall the um, the AOL section that he had mentioned. But then again, I, I think at that time I had ditched AOL. And um, so I may have missed that but because I don't recall that at all. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I, I still think that Fox could have had a, a should have done more in advertising and promoting it. If I remember correctly, I, I there were some ads, but it just didn't seem like it was the same level as the other, other advertising. But he is correct about. Oh, I didn't mean to imply that he wasn't <laughs> correct about the other stuff, but I, I do remember the whole thing about Roseanne. That was a, a big episode, and I think that took away. Unfortunately, that was the same night that Doctor Who was on here in the states, so. Um, mm-hmm. And that had a tremendous audience. That was um, so everyone was sort of going to that, and it was a um, an you know one of the monumental yeah, episodes. And they had they had the opportunity uh, around that time. The X Files was in its heyday. They easily could have promoted it more using the X Files. I agree. I I didn't think it was that uh, well promoted. I remember and they could have back to backed it with the X Files because you know you would have had a similar audience. You could have mm-hmm. made it a an eight to ten movie and put exactly. the files on yeah. an hour later, or, you know, mm-hmm. make people stumble across it. But they, they had no interest in, in that. That that was they just well. Really Fox didn't. is known to <laughs> have, look. Look, they had what Firefox. They had um. The, the, uh, um you mean uh, Firefly. Firefly. Thank you. <laughs> Not the the popular. Not word the Clint Eastwood movie. No. <laughs> Uh, they had um, Futurama. They they had Family Guy that they took off. Then they realized how well it was doing in video sales. Like, oh gee, we really screwed up. Let's bring it back. And um, anyway, so it's not the first time they <laughs> they've made a mess of things. They made yeah. a mess of things, to say the least. <laughs> so uh, and I I forget what um, Derek's first point was, um, but I, I know that he went on to address the the movie. I, so there you have it. Cool. All right. Well, um, next up we have um, the Tin Dog, and he's uh, this is the Tin Dog from the Tin Dog Podcast. Hi guys, I've been listening to Podshock since episode thirty, and I finally got round to leaving you some feedback. I have a question. Now, don't worry, it's not a fan thing. It's not me wondering how the Valiard might possibly fit into seasons four, five, six, and seven of the new Welsh Doctor Who, or more questions about why Torchwood didn't exist in the unit era, although I must admit I do have theories on both. No, it's basically to ask you how big your podcast audience is, how large is the podcast community. I've started to work on my own small podcast, and I finally have some idea as to how much work goes into a show. So basically, thanks guys for all your hard work, I'm now aware of exactly how much hard work goes into this. And it's okay. I won't shamelessly poke my own show. That just wouldn't be right. So this is Tin Dog from the Tin Dog Podcast signing off. Thanks very much. <laughs> nice one there, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess Lewis would be the the best guy to uh, answer this because he's got the most information relating to figures and so on and everything else. So obviously the uh, the audience fluctuates, um, but uh, if you kind of round off the average we have uh several thousands people listening to each episode uh i have to be honest i'm not one of those that really 
watch the figures from episode to episode and see what the you know um, I'm too busy working on the show then to really keep taps of every you know single episode that goes out so from time to time I do check to see where we're at and um, and I have to say that the numbers keep on growing and um, you know several thousand uh, listeners per episode is, uh, is 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 very good in our eyes and we're very pleased to have them and um, regardless of the size of your audience it shouldn't really affect your podcast and you know whether you have a hundred people listening to the show or a thousand or several or or a million that there's some podcasts that 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 do get those numbers by the way uh you just do the best podcast you can do and uh, um you know your, your audience will find you and if you have uh, a podcast that's on a certain subject, a niche subject, if you will, you will you will get those people that are interested because um, the resources will be limited on where else they can go for that type of information. Whereas if you do a podcast on, let's say, tech or technology or computers or or, or something more generalized, then there's so many other different podcasts out there, and people can only listen to so many things all at once. And so that's really where the podcasting community is is, is actually one that's growing. Um, you know, over the past, we've been doing our, our podcast for a couple of years now, and uh, podcasting has been around for maybe a, a total of three years or so. And I think it's been growing ever since, you know, with the addition of iTunes, including podcasts, uh, you know, that, that makes it very accessible for people to uh, to listen, to download and listen to podcasts, whereas before that you would have to use some sort of podcasting client and it gets confusing for some people. But if they're familiar with iTunes, it's, it's just a click away and it makes it that much more easier for people to subscribe and listen to your show. And But I, I do want to also, uh, since you didn't want to plug your podcast and this is the first I've heard of it and I haven't had a chance to listen to your uh, this is the the Tin Dog podcast. If you are interested, they he had it's obviously the Tin Dog is a reference to K nine, and it's um seems to be um a Doctor Who podcast called the Tin Dog uh, podcast, and it's available. Uh, you can get to it by going to www.tin-dog.co.uk. So once again, that's Tin Dog with a hyphen between Tin and Dog. Co.uk. And I believe they're up to episode um, three or four. I think yeah, something, something like, that. like that. Yeah, there's there. Oh, one is a promo. Oh, we should. I, I didn't realize there was a promo here. So maybe um, in this episode you, you'll hear a promo for the Tin Dog. Indeed. So yeah, cheers for all the audio feedback, guys. Do is that it for the audio feedback? That's, Do you have anything that's else for the audio mailbag? Is complete. Yes. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, I'll get over to the emails then. Um, this is from a guy called Sean. Uh, he's got a very Irish name, Sean O'Gorman, and he says, Hi, Podshock. My name is Sean, and I'm 13 years old, and I live in Australia. Recently, on ABC, I was watching Kylie Minogue's Homecoming tour show. Obviously, you can see I had nothing better to do that evening. <laughs> and, the, and the last song she did was Can't Get You Out of My Head. I had missed the beginning of the song and was surprised to find all these dancers with Kylie Minogue and they were wearing costumes like the Cybermen. I first thought she isn't doing something about Doctor Who, and it's just a coincidence that the dancers are wearing outfits like the Cybermen. But my family informed me that at the beginning there were Cybermen voices saying, every citizen will receive a free upgrade, delete, delete, and you will become like us. I found it on YouTube, and he's given a link. Uh, This shows you most, uh, but misses out the TARDIS sound at the end. So Kylie must be a Doctor Who fan. 
Also, I want to thank you for all the really good uh, show every week. It's great to hear the latest news and updates and your opinions on the show. Anyway, great show and keep it up from Sean. So thanks, mate. Yeah. yeah um, I think that um, our good mate Dave AC originally uh, mentioned this on our forums a few months ago because I remember watching it on YouTube. And uh, I know that she'd been a, a Doctor Who fan for a while because there had been uh, some pictures of her... Uh, posted on the net, either reading, like, the Doctor Who books or uh, listening to the Big Finish audio, stuff like that. So I think it's very cool. But I ha I'm a big Kylie fan, I have to say. She, uh, well, I'm, for <laughs> obvious reasons, she, I've grown up with her when she was on Neighbours. I Sadly, uh, my mum and sister are big Neighbours fans, and when I was a kid, I kind of was forced to watch it and kind of fell in love with Kylie Minogue when she was on Neighbours. I'm going to make uh, a prediction that we're going, to, we're going to see her as a guest on a future Doctor Who. That would be awesome. I'd I love to see Kylie in I just think she's Kylie a big fan, episode. and she's an international star, and, you know, she's going to be, uh, you know, word will get back that she has Cybermen dancing with her. That would be really cool. they had cool. rhythm? Who knew? But, um... I think that would be great if she could even make just a short cameo, and that would be really good fun. Even if she's not playing a main character, that would be just uh, a good laugh. And I'm sure it would make, if she is a bigger fan as it seems, then I'm sure that would make her, uh, her day or year <laughs> to be in Doctor Who. So, yeah, I think that's really cool, really fun. Yeah, but thanks, uh, Sean, for uh, letting us know and keeping us up to date with everything. Uh, if you're in the Enhanced podcast... There'll be a link to the YouTube uh, uh, page with, with the video. Uh, I'm not going to read it out because obviously with it being a YouTube uh, link, it's quite long and complicated. <laughs> yeah, it has but, like all uh, consonants and um, letters and whatever. Rubbish in it, yeah. But <laughs> failing that, of course, you can probably always just go to YouTube and do a search for Kylie Minogue and Cybermen or something like that, and I'm sure you'll find it. Hmm. So just uh, a couple more emails then. I have uh, one here from Eric, who is in Cheney in Washington, or Cheney, depending on how you, uh, you say or pronounce it. He says, hello, Ken, Lewis, and James. Just a quick email to say what a great job you guys do on Podshock. I really look forward to each episode, no matter how long it is. In Podshock 68, you mentioned the creature from the pit and how it wasn't a very good story and not recommended for someone just getting into older who. Well, it was the first episode of Doctor Who I ever saw, but it was still enough to get me hooked. Must be the magic of Tom Baker. Keep up the great work, guys. Eric in Washington. Well, of course, I mean, um, I think everybody has their own favourite Doctor Who episodes. Um, it, uh, mostly, I think, from what you just grew up with. Uh, like, even a lot of um, Sylvester McCoy episodes, which... Uh, other people don't like very much. I, I quite enjoy because uh, it reminds me of uh, growing up with this stuff. and uh, yes, the and nostalgia factor involved. Exactly. And I, I think that a story, even though it might be rubbish to somebody else because uh, they, they don't have this associated uh, stigma or emotional connection to it, but it, it seems really funny to say it, but... Uh, yeah, there are certain episodes out there that perhaps wouldn't be considered good episodes, which we all in, enjoy and, mm -hmm. and appreciate. So, um, yeah. But thanks for letting us know, mate. Thanks for emailing us in. It's always great yeah, to have yeah, I don't uh, think I was really feedback. not... I, I mean, the episode is not the strongest episode possible, but of course, something yeah. got you hooked into it, and there there is a nostalgia 
factor yeah. involved. You know, you see something, you ha- it makes an impression on you. Um, I think Pirate Planet Part Two or Three was the first one I ever saw. You know, I came in right in the middle, so I didn't see a Part One. So that confused the hell out of me. But the the whole f- robot owl thing and canine and all that made a, an incredible impression upon me. And uh, you know, I remember mm-hmm. it. I, I remembered it well enough to find the episode upon viewing the series over the course of years and mm-hmm. um but it's well, great to hear what you know when people remember oh this is the first one i saw and well, all we were saying basically was that um if we were going to recommend a first episode that probably wouldn't have been no uh, i agree of course of course um just because although it's uh, it is doctor who there's no denying that it's just not perhaps the best introduction to the to the series or to the uh to the show in general. Mm-hmm. Okay then, so I think we just have one last email, unless I'm mistaken, and this is from uh, a gentleman named Troy in uh, Wollongong in Australia. And he says, I just wanted to know what you guys think about the differences between Series 1 and Series 2, and also what your expectations are for Series 3. I think Series 2 was not quite as good, but I can't really pinpoint why. I don't think the change of Doctor was a factor. Tenant was great, but I just always felt a little bit empty as I wa- uh, watched each episode. Uh, so, so again, that's from Troy in Australia. Um, well, I think personally, I'll leave um, my expectations for what, for Series Three because I hope we'll discuss that uh, perhaps when we're at Icon um, mm-hmm. and get not only our opinions but maybe some opinions of the audience i think that would be great for a a kind of a feedback section and an open floor section um as for series one and series two i i think that series one and series two personally have different flavors Mm -hmm. um and as a result that's kind of why they're different i think they're both just equally as good i enjoy um both of them just the same i mean uh, I think really though Christopher Eccleston, uh, well they both did a, a terrific job, but Christopher Eccleston just di- did an amazing job in bringing it back, and um, I think a lot of people have a lot of respect for him for doing that. Not that, it, that not that David Tennant isn't a superb actor and isn't doing a terrific job because of course he is, but uh, I think for a lot of people, the first Doctor that you see um, when you're a kid. Uh, uh, is the one that you kind of latch on to and the one that you enjoy the most. Um, and I think uh, that's the reason why a lot of young kids um, think that, for instance, uh, Christopher Eccleston is maybe slightly better than, than David Tennant because, of course, Christopher Eccleston was their first Doctor. But for me, I enjoyed both series just as much. It's always terrific to have Doctor Who on television and uh, I think David Tennant's doing a terrific job and I'm... I can't wait for the end of March. I know they say that you shouldn't wish your life away, but it's so close. I can taste it, and they're putting out all these silly teaser trailers, and I just wish that uh, I could see the first episode because I'm, I'm really stoked and really excited about it. Oh, I think we've said in, in some past pod yeah. that um, the, the, the Chris Eccleston season seemed a little more um, consistent. consistent, Yeah. whereas David Tennant's uh, first season... The highs were very high and the lows were very low. Um, 
Yeah, there were, there I, were some weak episodes, but there were also some incredible episodes. And this has nothing to do with um, either actor playing actor. the doctor. I, yeah, I think absolutely. it's just the story-wise, and and this could and this also varies from viewer to viewer because some of the stories that I thought were a bit rubbish, others really love, and 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 you know, and people have you know, I respect their opinions, and they have the right to feel that way as well. So. Um, you know, for some, you know, you may not agree with that, but I, I thought series one, as Ken just said, was had a more consistent quality through the whole entire series from beginning to end where, and it had to, it, it yeah. had to have had, you know, in order for it to, to be relaunched, um, you know, the thing that, that made Chris Eccleston's doctor so strong, he made it dark and mysterious, but appeal, you know, appealing. If you would have come out with the David Tennant bubbly enthusiasm that we get from him uh the some of the adult audience may not have locked in may have said oh he's too you know it's uh, adults have a tendency to want that you know that that darker side a little little bit of that flavor and he he relaunched it in a in a in a mode that kids can enjoy it but adults could also enjoy it and respect it it was oh wow this guy's he's he's lonely and um his people are, you know, been destroyed, and he's the only one left. And he played into that. Yeah. And adults could lock in on that, as well as kids just liking the the, the fun of the show. Uh, it, it was needed to relaunch the show. Yeah, and also I, I just felt that it was more consistent with what had already been established in the Doctor Who series of 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 the past. You know where. I think with uh, the second series, if you will, they took a little bit more chances and uh, explored new areas, you know, as far as uh, the doctors having strong feelings and, um, you know, um, I, you know, where they haven't really done that in the past, where it's usually uh, it's the companion that 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 will fall in love or have, you know, express strong feelings. Uh, and, and now they're exploring that aspect of the doctor and um you know, and, and doing some more exploratory stories, you know, take um, episodes that go a different way. And uh, I guess these are risks they didn't want to take in the first series, as Ken just said, because they wanted to get the series on its feet and on firm ground. And now that it is, you can explore and take some chances and do different things. Yeah, couldn't agree more, I think. Uh, well, I'm just really excited about Series 3, to be honest, and... I'll probably reflect back more on, on what we can expect, um, but it's going to be awesome having a new companion there. Um, I mean, I loved Rose and I love Billy Piper, but it's just ex always exciting when there are new developments, mm -hmm. new things going on in the show. And, and that's what's um, the lifeblood of Doctor Who is it's constant re rejuvenation. You know, yeah. it's, it's constantly changing, and you, whether it's the lead actor or the companions or uh, producers changing, um, it's, it's always bringing new life and it it's reinvigorates the series all the time. That's why it's lasted so long. Indeed, indeed. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have anything else in the feedback uh, mm -hmm. for the feedback side of things. So I guess that brings a timely end to the show. Yeah, and we want to thank I just everyone. Wanted to, uh, oh, sure. to make a, a quick mention before mm -hmm. we go, I, I wanted to uh, to mention that many of um, here in the United States, many of the local PBS stations uh, have been offered the Chris Christopher Eccleston yeah. season. Uh, and they are airing around the country, including here on Long Island on, on WLIW Channel 21, um, which we're extremely pleased about. I mean, I know it's sort of 
some people might view it as well. It's already aired on Sci-Fi and it's aired on and it's airing on BBC America. But it, now it's back on PBS, where many of us discovered it originally, you know, 25 years ago. Um, and it's commercial-free and hopefully unedited. I, I didn't yeah. uh, catch Rose when WLIW played it. But. Well, we we had mentioned this in, in the past podcast. That's that that's, gives an, a great opportunity for those that have not that don't have cable, don't have satellite, a chance to see the new. Uh, series and oh, uh, yes. this is great access to them. And plus, they're getting it uninterrupted, you know, without commercial breaks, unless it's being aired during a pledge drive. But other than that, you'll get it to see beginning to end. And they show the original trailers, the BBC trailers for the next episode. At least WIW did it uh, when they they had they did they really? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the way that it was shown in the UK, which is great, and on top of that, WLIW in particular, and I, and I can't speak for the other PBS stations. Is airing it when it goes into its time slot. It's actually time slots multiple. It's airing three times a week. So a you that have no awesome. excuse to miss it, and b that's three opportunities to garner a fan base. That's that's extraordinary, and, and I give them. You know, I, I'm I'm very pleased that it's returned, and I and I emailed WLIW expressing my my pleasure in that, and I was also encouraging them to pick up the the classic series as well. I just. I know that the strategy is to keep people locked on the new one and then eventually hit them with the classic series, but it's out there. And and for those of us who appreciate the the full history of the show, there's no reason that it can't be showing the old. Oh episodes. yeah, no, I agree. Mm. They really the classic series really needs to be shown uh, be only just to get exposure to get people hooked on it again because. Um, you know, people aren't likely to pick. They may rent a DVD on chance of, oh, this. Let's let's pick it, but they're not going to buy a DVD on, on without having seen it first, perhaps. And uh, and if you're not into rentals of DVDs, you, you have really have no access to. And and also, all the classic episodes aren't out on DVDs. So uh, who was that right. last email from the Creature from the Pit? They you, if that was your you know thing that hooked you into Doctor Who. It's not out there, and if it's not being shown on television, you have no exposure to it. Well, what I'd like to do is is encourage the the Podshock listeners. Uh, you know, Podshock listeners have mobilized in the past, and and we did when it came to the Sci Fi Channel and the and the relaunching of the show. Um, let your P- local PBS station know, especially if they're if they are carrying the, the Chris Eccleston series. Let them know that you appreciate it. Um, go out there, send an email, make a phone call, and if you're so motivated, make a pledge if it's pledge drive time. Let them know that this is what you want to see, and let them know that you're interested in seeing the classic series as well. They public television, uh, by its very nature, unlike any other type of television. You can really, you really can affect the programming. You can call and say, "This is what I want to see." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 support your PBS station, your local PBS station, and by doing so, you know that's what encourages. I mean, th- this pledge drive that WLW was having during, uh, they previewed episode Rose uh, last week at the time of recording this, and you know they had mentioned that they would, they they want to pick up the next series, you know, the David Tennant series when it's available, and but it really comes down to pledge dollars if no one's. You know, no one's supporting Doctor Who on PBS. They're not going to get David Tennant. They're not going to get mm. the classic series. And mm, it's important. Yeah. So I think PBS is rolling the dice on this because they do have a history of airing mm-hmm. Doctor Who. Yeah. And they feel that there is an audience. Um, mm. But I just, as Doctor Who fans, we can't take it for granted. We can't say, "Well, we've seen it already." Mm-hmm. Support it. Enjoy the fact that it's commercial-free and unedited. And and like Lewis said, if they are showing the original. 
the BBC trailer for the upcoming episode. And just enjoy it. Take it for what it is. Enjoy it. I've said this number of times. We, we, we can't take for granted at any moment that Doctor Who is back. This is how we, mm. that's, you know, we lost it once already. Let's not let it happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did enjoy the fact that, uh, you know, again, just going to the, the WLIW pledge drive, since I haven't seen the others, is that they, they did make, uh, they did recall that they had the show originally and, and they used to show it. And just knowing that they, they awesome, <laughs> they, they recalled us being there too, but that's not, it's just the point that they have a sense of history and that they're, they're aware of it, that, you know, this is a series that, that, um, played long and, and well on on their station years ago. And, well and, over a decade it was on WLIW. Yeah. Well over a decade. And and we're looking forward to returning as volunteers. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The next pledge yeah. drive for Doctor Who. You know. I, that, was my, that was my soapbox for PBS. <laughs> Everyone's dismissed. <laughs> and if you make well, a pledge now for $60, this mug yeah, that I'm handing... <laughs> I'll send you the mug. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for a great recording as ever. And thank you to all our wonderful listeners for listening and sending in your feedback and everything else. Don't forget to send in your exposition entries to win the iPod. More details on our website about that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. See see everyone soon. Take care. Cheers. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan run GallifreyanEmbassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net No animals or small furry creatures from Alpha Centauri were harmed in the making of this podcast. Why is it always the great-looking ones who do that? I'm making an effort not to be insulted. I mean, men. Okay, thanks. That really helped.